0: Thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 73. I'm really excited to share all of the very thoughtful analysis students had for the Matthew Olsman poem they last responded to. There's lots of good stuff, and, my favorite, some students explored how the structure of the poem was helping to create meaning as well. I've got a lot to say about it before we get to our next poem, Jay Bessemer's The Name Before The Name Before Mine. Bessemer's poem is the first podcast selection to not be chosen by me, but instead by a student, Coral Academy of Science High School junior Rayanne Hijazi. She's got an excellent sense for not only reading and selecting great poetry, but in giving voice to great poetry as well. Rayanne has represented Coral Academy twice in the Washoe County's portion of the National Poetry Out Loud competition, and she came just shy of winning at the state level last year, the furthest our school has come in the competition. Poetry Aloud is a poetry recitation competition that we will begin on campus soon in preparation for the district competition, which usually takes place in January. If any of our freshman students have enjoyed at least one of our poems, I hope they'll ask me about it in class and maybe ask about the extra credit that comes along with participating. The Name Before The Name Before Mine was originally published in 2019 by Poetry Now, and Rayanne's recommendation was my first exposure to it, although It feels like the perfect next step. We again find ourselves hearing a speaker connect to nature and setting students may want to look up a few species names, by the way, and there may again be uncertain relationships elsewhere in the poem. To be honest, I'm not sure how the speaker feels about themselves, the past, the present, or the future. I'm really looking forward to hear how students respond to it, but I think in my capture emotions that are pretty relatable. Before we can explore our next poem, though, We must revisit Letter to the Person Who Carved His Initials Into the Oldest Living Longleaf Pine in North America by Matthew Olsman. I am reading it this time. Letter to the Person Who Carved His Initials Into the Oldest Living Longleaf Pine in North America by Matthew Olsman. Tell me what it's like to live without curiosity, without awe, to sail on clear water, rolling your eyes at the kelp reef swaying beneath you, ignoring the flicker of mermaid scales in the mist, looking at the world and feeling only boredom. To stand on the precipice of some wild valley, the eagles circling, a herd of caribou booming below, and to yawn with indifference, to discover something primordial and holy, to have the smell of the earth welcome you to everywhere, to take it all in, and then to reach for your knife. Let's start by talking about how students saw the beauty of the poem, and the beauty of the world described in the poem. A student writes that the poem uses some very inspirational language that appears to be quite whimsical, describing the natural world and to encourage the poem's readers to experience the world's natural wonders for themselves. Another says that words like flicker, mermaid scales, and mist are used to set the stage for a magical scene in the ocean. Related to this, another says that to sail on clear water, the kelp reef swaying beneath you shows visual imagery to explain to the reader that to sail on a boat and to see this kelp reef below, it's peaceful. And then just after in the poem, when it says to have the smell of the earth welcome you to everywhere, a student says that they think in this quote, Olsman meant that the earth gave us a gift of her nature. And it's also worth noting how students understood our speaker or understood Olsman, although they do feel very similar here. One writes that the poem tells us about someone's appreciation for small things in the world through expressive details and emotionally connected words. Another writes that Oldsman has lived a life full of questions with little answer to those questions. Now, the focus of the poem, though, is definitely the listener. One response says that the listener is built and crafted by the poet. Oldsman invents this character who, despite viewing the beauty of the world, nature, and small things, that person, they may be disrespectful in the author's eyes. That the glory and majesty of the tree itself was not enough for the listener. That it couldn't be noticed without it having to be carved. That its beauty didn't hold. This, as a result can create an apathetic and slightly arrogant character. Perhaps the author wants to tell something to the listener, that life is sacred, that every little thing in this world is precious. On a similar note, a student says that looking at the world and only feeling boredom further implies that the explorer, the carver here, is being disrespectful to the earth by just taking it for granted and acting bored around it. Another writes that the author includes vivid descriptions throughout the poem to depict the ego of the listener, and I'm going to note that it may be that this ego is more clear as a contrast to the action versus the environment. And in terms of why the speaker does this, what their motivation is, some students explored this as well. One writes that there is so much to do in that specific landscape Olsman just described, and yet this man is somehow bored and decides to carve his initials into a very old tree and has ruined nature. The says, the listener, who is the person who carved their initials into the tree, might have done so as a way to keep a memory of them behind. And if this is the case, it did a good job, seeing as we are now reading this poem. Another notes that they may think it's not a big deal, that it's just wood, but Olsman is passionate and cares about wildlife. And this passion and this care and this perspective of the speaker, I think, is really important because a number of students wanted to explore how that speaker was talking towards the carver, the listener here. One writes, The person doesn't pay attention to the wonders of everything surrounding them. That the speaker is describing an individual who is overall a self-centered person. And I feel like this is describing something that might be called an accusing tone or accusatory tone. Another writes, The person who carved the tree damaged Earth's beauty. The speaker is hurt that someone would destroy a tree like that, especially a tree that carries such heavy significance. Along this line, a student says that words like clear, kelp reef, and swaying create this pretty image, but then readers realize that in between those words, the phrase rolling your eyes was used. There's such a contrast of thoughts and feelings in this sentence that it creates a sense of ridicule towards the speaker. And finally, a student notes that they believe Olsman also wanted to display a profound love between the speaker and listener. And I'm going to note real quick this is the only student who saw this side, who consider this possibility, but I think it's really interesting. They go on by saying the speaker doesn't know the listener, but they understand something that the listener doesn't. It's this confrontation that could be taking place in the poem because the speaker is worried about the listener and their action and trying to maybe correct that a little bit. Now, my favorite thing for students to do is to consider poetry as a specific art that's kind of. different from short stories or novels or films or things like that. And one way we do this is by focusing on how poetry can be structured to create different effects. So when students focus on things that feel specific to poetry, to structure, to organization of ideas, I really get into that stuff. The first one I want to note to starts with a title. The student says, The title immediately tells the listener just how angry he is by saying, The oldest living longleaf pine in North America. This has the undertone that shows Oldsmann's opinion on the matter and puts emphasis on how important this action is to the world of nature since this tree holds a record. The same student goes on, and I'm going to quote at length here, they say that commas are used to go into as much descriptive detail as he can, creating an image of a careless person who does not see nature for what it truly is through his eyes, a sacred and holy place to feel peace and see beauty all at once. One of the times Oldsman does this is when he uses the words primordial, and holy just before he says to take it all in and then reach for your knife. This really stood out to me because he expresses such a passion and love for nature that he almost makes it seem like a living soul just before the person he's writing to commits such a destructive act. Now, this wasn't the only student who pointed to this pretty significant difference in focus and tone. The student noted that the jarring transition from all the wonders of nature to the listener reaching for their knife to carve their initials feels like a punch in the gut. And another student correctly identifies this as a case of situational irony, which is a great call and a great use of some of the vocabulary from our classroom. We have a situation being created that establishes this really essential, important, holy, primordial, infinite kind of thing deserving of nothing but our respect and awe. And then it ends, of course, with something that is destructive to it. I'm going to quote another student at length here who is, exploring similar ideas. They point to the quotation that says, looking at the world and feeling only boredom. And they note that by putting the last two words in a different stanza, Oldsman built up the audience's anticipation by mentioning looking at something as big as the world, only to anticlimactically say they feel bored. Oldsman also wrote, to sail in clear water, rolling your eyes, which continues to accumulate anticipation in the next stanza. To some people, Sailing is seen as relaxing or astonishing, and these thoughts continue to grow as the water is described, but that anticipation is once again denied, as the reaction described is disinterest. Overall, Oldsman intentionally contradicts the anticipations he builds up to trick the reader and the listener into thinking the writer would say something optimistic. A number of students didn't just focus on our speaker, our poet, our listener, the carver here, they also considers ourselves and how we can maybe make use of or connect to this poem. One student wrote that because we as people see the same or similar things every day, we don't know what it would be like without such things. We only think of the boredom they bring us after seeing them so often. I think the poem is almost like a wake-up call telling us to appreciate everything, even the things that we see every day and bore us, because sooner or later they may no longer be a part of our lives. On a similar note a student writes that to live without curiosity is like being too comfortable in one place and you don't get to experience anything new or exciting. And on a very personal note, a student points to our own behaviors and says that our phones, in this sense, is kind of like the line to reach for your knife. Not only do we have connections to this poem, but there are also things that maybe we can learn from it. And those lessons, I think, are a great place to end. One student points to the line that says, tell me what it's like, and notes that when Oldman says this, he puts the listener in a position to think as if they were in the mindset of the carver. Now, I think there's something interesting happening here. This student is using listener to mean the reader, the audience, for the poem, and not the listener who's being spoken to in the poem. So we have two different kinds of listeners we can talk about. We have what we might call an inside listener, and that's the carver, and an outside listener, that's us, the audience. And I definitely think this is a good point by the student, that the poet is trying to place us in this space by talking directly to the listener. We can't not put ourselves in that position. It's a great way to make a lesson really stick. Another student writes that, Olsman conveys the idea of how we as humans don't appreciate what beauty already exists on Earth. We're only interested in what mark we leave. Olsman explains that making an impact on Earth and society isn't the only beautiful thing you can do in life, and at times... The most beautiful thing in life is simply gazing at everything that surrounds you with appreciation. And finally a student put the lesson that this poem might offer us in pretty succinct terms and I like it. They wrote, "Before you decide to draw your knife on nature, try to open up to the world around you." And that's a lovely thought and a wonderful place to end their analysis. Our next poem is The Name Before the Name Before Mine by Jay Bessemer. There is a lot happening in this poem that will be new for students in terms of structure. As I mentioned in the intro, I really like when students try to connect structural choices with interpretive effects or meaning, and this poem has a lot to offer for a student willing to try that. Students may notice that there are no capital letters here. Even in the places where one would expect them, like the title is lowercase, sentences start lowercase, even the first-person pronoun here is lowercase. Even more odd, there isn't any punctuation at all. Also, each line is its own stanza and stanzas are only one line long. A quick note here, by the way, it's possible that students reading this poem on Google Classroom may see multiple lines per stanza, and that has absolutely everything to do with how Google Classroom scales text. Please consider this a formatting error. Now, some of these lines may have multiple senses in them, which makes the lack of punctuation even more odd. I also genuinely think this poem is a great intro, opening with the unknown, which is this like big concept even if it's lowercase, before immediately saying, no, not the unknown you know about this other one. There's a great deal of personality there that I find relatable, especially in that, ah, toward the end. There's also many questions that I think most people will find relatable at one time of their life or another. The poem itself seems to want us to ask questions too. One stands out to me. Who is, or who were, who are, the name of the name before and after speaker. For students wanting to explore concepts from class, there's a lot of stuff to dig into. There's similes, personification, various types of imagery. There's some paradox in here as well. We haven't talked about it in class, but I imagine some students have run into it previously. With all the variety on offer for exploration, now seems like a good time to talk about variety and sentence structure. For our writing task, I want every sentence of our paragraph-length responses to start differently. Creating sentence variety is one way we keep writing really engaging, and one way to do this is to avoid having the beginning of sentences rely on the same words. For our secret passphrase, I just want students to just use the phrase, the present. Here is The Name Before the Name Before Mine, by J. Bessemer, read by Ryan Hijazi. The Name Before the Name Before Mine, by J. Bessemer The unknown has hold of me, and its grip is strong as honey on the underside of a spoon. The unknown I mean is not the usual one, the future, the tomorrow of survival, but the past, and what happened in the name of the name after mine and in the name of the name before mine. I do not know enough to speak. I do not know enough to remain silent. There is a fear that holds me, and it sounds like wind. It sounds like catydids in Catalpa. Ah, the tall grass of the days before I knew there was a before me Where do I live if there's no home remaining? Where do I live if the home I helped build can never be mine and the one I was born into never was? A paragraph responding to this prompt is due on the Friday that ends this week and your two replies to other students are due the Wednesday after. Students, be sure to use the phrase the present in some form in your responses, as this is your secret passphrase. For a writing task, be sure that every sentence starts with a different Word. No repetition in sentence openings so that we can create more sentence variety. Don't forget to make use of our previous writing tasks as well. A strong analytical paragraph requires a quality claim, starting with a tag, a how, and a what will make this more likely. Use the author's last name by itself if you want, especially if you're talking about the structure of a poem. There is again a speaker here that is the eye of the poem, but they aren't talking to anyone in particular, so you shouldn't be talking about the listener. Oh, and one last warning, be very careful about your quotations. Anything you quote cannot be changed from the original, so don't accidentally capitalize something that shouldn't be capitalized. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, want to provide a reading, or would like the class to direct their eyes toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeaches.com or on Twitter. I am at LightenTeaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities and ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 73 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent.